just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. I told you things were going to be popping a little bit, and Tuesday was a busy day. We're seeing a lot of things come to light. We're seeing Trumplicans fighting amongst themselves. Yeah, it appears things are starting to unravel. We still have a ways to go, but this is how it's all going to play out. As more is exposed and more people shown to be guilty, you're going to see a lot of people jumping ship or... uh, placing blame elsewhere, and we're starting to see that now. Well, Tuesday was day two of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Now, you know Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, his business partner, his co-abuser, co-pedophile. Yeah, she was all of those things, and she's on trial currently about all the things that happened while Jeffrey Epstein was alive. He's dead now, so he can't stand trial. So it's on Ghislaine Maxwell's back. It was an interesting day in court today. They talked to a couple of people. A couple of different people were testifying. Now, the first one that was interesting was Jeffrey Epstein's pilot of 28 years. He flew a plane they jokingly referred to as the Lolita Express. You think they just like the name, or maybe there was some meaning behind it? Given what we know about Jeffrey Epstein being an absolute convicted pedophile, I think we know what that means. Well, this pilot seems to have recalled a number of people who traveled on that plane down to the island, and uh, it's an interesting list, to be sure. First of all, For the Democrats, Bill Clinton was on there several times. Prince Andrew was on that airplane. Kevin Spacey, John Glenn, George Mitchell. And the big one, Donald Trump. It sounds like Donald Trump had been on that plane multiple times, in spite of the fact that Donald Trump told us he barely knew Ghislaine Maxwell or Jeffrey Epstein. Well, we know that's not true. We know they were friends. We've heard people talk about their relationship, and it's always been said that they had a close relationship. So it's just more bullshit out of Donald Trump. He doesn't want to be connected to a pedophile, which is weird because he's a fucking pedophile. You would think they'd want to team up, and it looks like they did. So all of what Donald Trump told us about his connection to Jeffrey Epstein is absolute bullshit. Now we have absolute proof given to us by the pilot of the Lolita Express. Now, what's interesting, they also talked to one of the victims of Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. She was 14 years old at the time, and the stories she tell are absolutely horrific. There was actually one other victim that was there, and it's interesting. That particular victim. Her name was Virginia, I believe. She's the one that's accused Prince Andrew. Well, that's weird. 
Prince Prince Andrew, we know, was on the flight because the pilot said so. And the pilot also said that his accuser happened to be on some flights, too. Well, that adds a little more legitimacy to this uh, young woman's complaint and makes us question about uh, Prince Andrew's denial. This has got to make the, the Royal Highness a little nervous and the crown in England a little nervous. Prince Andrew might get some play in, um, in England, but if he's guilty here, he's going to have to face some charges. And it's not looking good for him at this point. So this Ghislaine Maxwell trial is only two days in, and a lot of things have come to light. They're talking to the right people, the pilot, the victims, and it's all starting to come together, and people are getting kind of nervous, I would have to think. Because we know that uh, Jeffrey Epstein was tied to a lot of powerful, wealthy, and famous people. And that list of people I just laid out would verify that. We know they were on the plane because the pilot said they were. We know they went down to an island that's known for pedophilia. We know Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile because he was convicted of it. So this is all looking very interesting. And I'm sure there's a lot of wealthy people out there that don't want to be associated or nervous about this situation. Now, I wanted to suggest something else. Now, I don't know if these things are related, but it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. Remember Jack Dorsey? He is the CEO of Twitter. He just resigned. We have the CFO of Walmart who resigned. The CEO of CNBC recently resigned. CEO of Barclays. He was very close friends to Epstein. That got to be known, and he resigned. Didn't Bezos and... uh, Bill Gates resigned their post too? Is that all coincidental? Is that a financial thing? Or is that concern about what's going to come out? Now, what I'm saying here sounds like a conspiracy theory. And it essentially is. I mean, we have no proof of anything yet. But there are a lot of people nervous because we know a lot of people were on those flights, a lot of people that spend time down on this pedophile island, what do they call it, Little St. James? Not sure why they called it that, but I think a lot of things are going to come out, and people want to be out from underneath whatever responsibilities they have if they're going to be exposed. Now, it's hard for me to understand how Ghislaine Maxwell is still around to answer these questions. But the fact of the matter is the real telling questions that are answered aren't necessarily coming from Ghislaine Maxwell. They're coming from victims. They're coming from a pilot. Now, these people want to shut people up. Apparently, they're going to have to go through a lot of people to get them to shut up. So it's not quite the same as doing something to Jeffrey Epstein to keep his mouth shut. Little did they know that wouldn't end the court case. I think they believe that. I think they believe that they just got rid of uh, Epstein. And again, the fact that he may have been killed, that's a conspiracy theory. 
The fact that he may have committed suicide seems all too convenient, but who really knows? But let's say they did want to get rid of Epstein to stop the whole court case. Well, they're a little surprised now that the court case continues because Ghislaine Maxwell was essentially as guilty as Jeffrey Epstein. She helped the project that Jeffrey Epstein ran. She she partook in some of the sexual abuse with underage women. And she was also the groomer for these women. So she is equally as guilty as Jeffrey Epstein is. And she will no doubt go down on this charge. She'll be in jail for a long time. Now, she's this British socialite, thinks she's above it. Dad was wealthy. But Dad had some problems, too, and it sounded like he committed suicide off his boat. So I think they might be well advised to pay close attention to Ghislaine Maxwell. Who knows what could happen? But even if it does happen to her, it may stop her court case, but there's a lot of information coming out, and that will lead to other court cases. It will lead to the uh, the monies that uh, Epstein had. There's going to be a lot of payouts because of that, and there already has been for that matter. But this is an interesting case. We are in day two of that case, and already things are starting to come to light. And to be perfectly honest with you, it is fucking disgusting that this guy and this woman were allowed to do this for this long. I mean, we're talking the 90s when this stuff started. We're talking 25, 30 years that this shit was going on. Now, Jeffrey Epstein did get arrested. He did get convicted one time. But here's the interesting thing. There was a prosecutor in Florida that was overseeing this. And in spite of the fact that what he did is horrific and heinous crimes that he committed, this prosecutor worked out a deal for Jeffrey Epstein to be able to get out and go to work every day, get a short sentence for some of the most horrific crimes you can imagine. There's a lot of people tied in this, and there's a lot of ways that Jeffrey Epstein escaped a lot of punishment. Now it's a matter of Ghislaine Maxwell can do the same. I doubt it. She wouldn't be where she is right now on trial if she had the ability to slip out from under it or somebody was able to get to her. So this court case will probably play out. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's exposed and who's exposed. And you're going to have a lot of people talking fast trying to explain, well, we were just buddies with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, but you knew he was a pedophile. He was convicted. You knew what the reputation of that island was, but you still went down there. You rode on the Lolita Express a number of times. This is going to be fun. There's going to be a lot that's exposed. And uh, people are nervous right now. Trust me on this. They are fucking nervous. Well, some interesting things going on with the House Select Committee. First of all, the House Select Committee spent four hours today talking to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of the state of Georgia. You'll remember him. 
He's the guy that Donald Trump called and tried to coerce him into trying to find 11,780 votes because that's what he needed to win Georgia. He expected to pull it out of thin air, but there were no extra votes. There was no fraud. So Donald Trump was putting some pressure on him. The sad thing for Donald Trump is this whole conversation was recorded. We have audio recordings of Donald Trump committing a crime. And it would seem like the House Select Committee is very interested in that, as well as the state of Georgia. We know they're looking at a possible grand jury in Georgia for this very offense. But for some reason, the House Select Committee was talking about it for quite a while. To be honest with you, to interview Raffensberger for four hours is a little longer than you normally see for these sorts of things. So it'll be interesting to see what angle they take on this. See, here's the weird thing about it. Georgia is going after Donald Trump for this coercion, for this crime that he committed by calling um, Raffensberger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, But the funny thing is we haven't heard anything out of the DOJ at all about what is going on or if they're looking into it. It's quite a crime. It's a federal crime. You would think that the DOJ would be investigating it, but it doesn't seem like they are. So maybe they're waiting for Congress, the House Select Committee, to finish off looking at uh, this situation. The House Select Committee will then turn over whatever evidence they have to the DOJ, and then the DOJ won't have any choice but to investigate it and possibly prosecute it. See, that's what you have to understand about the House Select Committee. They can't charge anybody. They can't put anybody in jail. They're doing an investigation to see if there was any wrongdoing, and when they find out that there's wrongdoing, what they will do is refer it over to the DOJ. Those are the folks that can investigate deeper, uh, file charges, take it to a grand jury, and uh, ultimately prosecute people for the wrongdoing. I know I get a lot of people talking to me, why hasn't Congress put them in jail? They can't put them in jail. They're putting together evidence so the public knows what's going on, and if there are crimes, they can then refer it to the DOJ. That's how it works. Nobody's walking out of the House Select Committee in handcuffs. Just not going to happen. Now, we know that uh, the House Select Committee referred Steve Bannon over to the DOJ for criminal contempt. And... uh, They've agreed to charge him. He's ultimately going to stand trial. There's no way he can win the case because it's clear cut. It's very simple. He was subpoenaed. He didn't show up. That's where the law was broken. It can be proven. Everybody knows it's true. So he'll go to trial, and uh, there is an absolute minimum uh, jail term for every charge. Now, he's got two charges because it involves documentation, which he didn't provide, and showing up and testifying, which he didn't do. So he has two counts of criminal contempt of Congress. When he loses, here's what can happen. The minimum amount, I think, is, I don't know, 90 days, but the maximum amount is a year for each charge. So he could be in jail for two years over this situation, and he could be fined as much as $100,000. 
Now, for a lot of people, that's a little frightening. They don't want to deal with that shit. But you got to understand who we're dealing with when we're talking about Steve Bannon. He looks as this is another way to grift his people. Oh, he's in trouble now. We need your help more than ever. And these dumb fucks will keep sending them money. They'll keep sending them money and he'll keep chewing it up. I'm willing to believe that Steve Bannon's willing to do jail time just to grift more money from the people of this country that actually believe his bullshit. Now, when you're listening to this today, the House Select Committee is going to to vote to refer Jeffrey Clark to the uh, DOJ for criminal contempt of Congress. Jeffrey Clark has refused to talk about anything, and he is part of the deal, man. He was... He was in the DOJ. He was a deputy attorney general. He was filling out or drafting letters to send to swing states, particularly Georgia, saying, look, we found all kinds of of, um, election fraud. You can't certify your elections. What he was doing was helping to mount a coup, and we know that he spent some time talking to the White House. Whether it's Donald Trump or somebody close to him, it is a problem. He's already broken the law, and he refuses to testify. So today, what's happening today, and I, when I say today, I mean Wednesday. I'm recording this early Wednesday morning. They're going to vote whether to refer him to the DOJ, and of course they are going to do that because, again, the charge is very simple. They subpoenaed you, they want documents, and want you to show up. He did neither, so clearly he's guilty, and clearly he's going to go the same route as Steve Bannon. But now there's one other guy that we haven't talked about yet. We've talked about him a lot, but not today. And that is Mark Meadows. Now, Mark Meadows was the chief of staff for Donald Trump. He was right next to Donald Trump through all of January 6th. He was talking to a lot of people, including Donald Trump. He knows a lot of shit. And he's refused to testify all along. But now he sees what's happening to Steve Bannon. He sees what could happen to Jeffrey Clark. And he's saying, you know what? you know what, Uh, maybe I'll talk, maybe I'll talk, because he's in a much different situation than the other two. He thinks he still might have a career in politics, and he certainly doesn't want to have the last thing on his resume being a conviction of criminal contempt of Congress. That's not going to do well for his future. See, he's still young enough to want a future, and he sees this as a problem. So he's agreed to testify in front of the House Select Committee in spite of the fact that he said he wouldn't. Now, there's some troubling things about this this agreement. The word agreement that he allegedly has with the House Select Committee is troubling to me. Why is there any agreement? I mean, this guy has already broken the law. He could be sent to the DOJ tomorrow. The fact of the matter is he could sit down, testify, and they could still send him to the DOJ because he already broke the law. He already was in contempt of Congress. 
But he said, well, I waited a couple weeks, and now I want to talk, and yeah, I'm going to talk. But he said something interesting. He says, well, I'm not going to talk about any of those things that have executive privilege. Well, that's interesting, because we've already found out that uh, he doesn't have executive privilege. Donald Trump doesn't have executive privilege. And we're going to talk about a court case that Donald Trump is involved in in the next half, which is interesting. But we know he doesn't have any executive privilege. The only person that can assert executive privilege is the sitting president, that is Joe Biden. And he said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But here's what I don't understand. Why would the House Select Committee cut any deals with him where he could refuse to answer certain questions? The fact of the matter, if he just claims Fifth Amendment on everything he talks about, he can still be charged with contempt of Congress. But you're going to let him determine what he can and can't talk about it. That doesn't sound like a very good deal. That doesn't sound like you're using the leverage that you now have. Because here's a guy that's deciding to talk now because he's scared shitless. He thinks if he shows up, at least he'll get out of that charge. Well, he's already broke the law. I mean, he can't go back in time and change that. He's already broken the law. And I think that may be the leverage that uh, the House Select Committee is going to use. Because if he sits down and doesn't answer all the questions, they're going to say, okay, fuck it, we'll send you over to the DOJ. But he doesn't want to talk about some stuff. The fact of the matter here is it should be cut and dried. You were subpoenaed. You were at the Capitol or at the White House on January 6th. You talked to Donald Trump with some regularity on January 6th. You need to come here, answer every question we ask you. And just do the fucking job and then move on. But if he's not willing to do that, that's kind of weird. I got to think the House Select Committee is going to use the leverage of the criminal contempt charge if he shows up and doesn't give all the information he needs. Now, what you have to understand is the House Select Committee knows a lot of this stuff already. They've already interviewed over 250 people, many of them from the White House. So most of the questions they are going to ask Mark Meadows, they already know the answers to. They're looking for verification or validation from Mark Meadows, the chief of staff. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this situation. Mark Meadows is shitting his pants right now, so he's going to show up and talk. And apparently he turned over like 6,000 emails. Now we're just talking in and around January 6th, that's a lot of fucking emails for a few days. But apparently he's turned that over. It'll be interesting if he turned everything over or if he just picked and chose the things he wanted to send. I have a lot of confidence in the House Select Committee. They've done a good job up to this point. I'm probably not telling them anything they don't already know. They're probably considering that Mark Meadows may refrain from talking about some things they want to talk about. They seem very, very much on top of leverage and getting people to do things. So hopefully they know how to handle the Mark Meadows situation and they will get everything they need from him. 
The important thing to understand, though, is by charging Steve Bannon and looking at charging Jeffrey Clark, that is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Now, the game here wasn't to charge everybody that refuses to uh, testify. It's a lot of people and a lot of time. However, once they showed some teeth and showed that they were actually going to charge Steve Bannon and potentially Jeff Clark, well, these people are getting nervous. Not all of them have a lot of money. Not all of them really have a future uh, like a Mark Meadows might have or Steve Bannon using this to grift. They're just average people. All they know is if they don't show up and speak out, they could end up in court and could end up in jail. Now it's a matter of are they more afraid of Donald Trump or are they more afraid of going to jail? Well, things are coming apart now for the Trump administration. We'll talk more about that in the second half. But these people are starting to get a sense of that now. Sticking with Donald Trump and the big lie and all this other bullshit is not going to play well for them. It's not going to do well for them. And at this point, it's like rats jumping off a ship. They jump off the ship because they want to save themselves. Donald Trump's not saving anybody. Even if he wanted to, I don't think Donald Trump can save anybody at this point. He's a weak-ass, punk-ass bitch who's got no power. He's just got a loud mouth and some stupid people that follow him. That's not enough to win in court. <laughs> we'll talk about that right after this break. We'll be right back. Well, Donald Trump's lawyers were in court today, and they're dealing with uh, a big problem for Donald Trump. It's tied to the January 6th insurrection and what the House Select Committee is doing. Now, the House Select Committee subpoenaed all the documents from the White House for January 6th. Again, Trump wanted executive privilege. Joe Biden said, fuck yourself. <laughs> so we know that Donald Trump does what he does, and he took it to court. He lost. He tried to get a stay from that judge, couldn't get it, went to the appeals court, did get a stay, and now they are in court as of November 30th. On November 30th, they gave their arguments, both the prosecution and the defense, Donald Trump's side. Now, people were upset when he got that stay. They thought he was going to slip through this again and he'll never be held accountable. But as I've told you in previous podcasts and on TikTok, the three judges aren't necessarily siding with Donald Trump. We've got two judges that were appointed by Barack Obama. One of the judges was appointed by Joe Biden. So it's not looking good for Donald Trump. I don't think he ever had, thought he had a chance. It was a matter of delaying. And funny thing is, both these court cases have come up very, very quickly, very quickly. And so the judges heard their pleas, the Donald Trump side of it, why they should continue to hide the documents from the White House on January 6th. They kept talking about executive privilege. All the judges, when they were listening to this case, were skeptical. That's what they say. They were questioning a lot of what these lawyers were talking about during the trial. 
One of them even said, look, it's a matter of who can do what. You can only have one president at a time. So who has the ability to assert executive privilege? Is it a sitting president or is it a former president? And I think she was speaking rhetorically because the answer is obvious. The answer is what the law says. And the law says that only a sitting president can assert executive privilege. A former president can get some consideration, but it's got to go to the sitting president, and the sitting president has to agree with him, and that hasn't happened. So what's going to come out of this case in the next few days or a week or so, they're going to come back with a decision. Donald Trump and his lawyers will lose again. And then theoretically, they should be able to release those documents to the House Select Committee. Now, what's likely to happen with Donald Trump when he loses this case, he's going to want to try to take it to the Supreme Court. Now, the question is, is the Supreme Court even going to listen to it? They're kind of busy. They got some shit going down, and we'll talk about that next. But are they going to even hear it after it got solidly beaten in two lower courts. The premise that the lawyers and Donald Trump are coming are against actual law. Now, I know we have a conservative Supreme Court, but they aren't going to flip on this law just to help Donald Trump. They can see Donald Trump spiraling, and they don't want to be attached to him when he does that. The credibility of the Supreme Court is in trouble as as we speak anyway. Too many people are looking at it as a partisan entity, and that's the last thing the Supreme Court wants to be seen as. And we've heard some justices whine and cry about it. So my guess is they won't even hear the court case. But if they do, it will be quick, because as I say, they have other shit going on. So... If they take it to the Supreme Court, here's what I'm wondering, though. The National Archive seems to be in a hurry to get this stuff out. Now, in order for them to hold it back, a judge or a court has to tell them to hold it back. That happened when Donald Trump got the stay. But now he's in this appeals court, he loses again. That appeals court isn't going to give him a stay. Now he's going to have to get it from the Supreme Court. Are they really going to fuck around with that? I don't think so. I really don't think so. But even if it went to court and they somehow decided on it, there's no way Donald Trump will win. The documents will be released. And then a lot of information that we need to know will be exposed. And then who gives a fuck if Mark Meadows talks? Because we'll see all the documents with Mark Meadows' name on it, the notes and the emails, and the texts, and all this shit. So if I was Mark Meadows, I'd want to get in there first before that stuff is exposed and try to play it off somehow. I don't think he can. But these documents will be released. And they'll probably be released before the end of the year, sometime in December. And that's plenty of time to go through it and figure out what the fuck is happening. So... We'll see what's going on there. Now, when I was talking about the Supreme Court, I said they've got plenty of other shit to deal with. 
And of course, they're in the process of hearing the arguments from the state of Mississippi. The state of Mississippi is trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. Let's be honest. That's what the far-right Republicans and the evangelicals have been trying to do for 40 years since it was enacted, since it was made law. That's been their one goal. They don't give a fuck about anything else. That's all they care about. So now they're on the verge of maybe doing that. Mississippi comes up with a law taking uh, the time frame when a woman can have abortion. Roe v. Wade's is 25 weeks. They want to take it down to 15 weeks. So now it's going to go to Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court upholds what's in Mississippi, the law in Mississippi, then that is, if nothing else, the start of overturning Roe v. Wade. And that is going to cause a shitstorm. That is going, it's already causing a shitstorm. And this is going to be a tough thing for the Supreme Court. Yes, we have six conservative judges. But are they going to overturn 40 years of a settled law? Are they going to suffer through the shitstorm? Are they going to further risk their integrity and their credibility as to being partisan? I don't know. Are they willing to try to save themselves and do the right thing? Or are they willing to do the will of the far right and the evangelicals? This is going to be very interesting. This could be an historic event in this country. You overturn a law that's been settled for 40 years, you can bet there's going to be kickback, a lot of kickback. And the Supreme Court probably... This is the last thing they want to be involved in. They just don't want to be involved in it. All right, let's talk about a a few other things. Of course, I mentioned on TikTok, I may have mentioned it on the last podcast too. We're also in the middle of the court case, uh, uh, the uh, trial against Minneapolis police officer Kim Potter. You'll remember the case. This was going, this happened in Minneapolis while the George Floyd trial was going on. Young man was driving down the street. He had something, uh, air freshener, hanging from his rearview mirror. He was pulled over. A couple of young police officers were dealing with it. He was having a little trouble because, I don't know, if Dante Wright, who was the victim here, Uh, was arguing about whether he should be pulled over if he was even doing anything illegal. I guess technically he was because law states you can't have an air freshener hanging from your rearview mirror. But the fact of the matter is, even if you do have an air freshener hanging from your rearview mirror, the last thing that should happen to you is to get shot and killed. But that's exactly what happened. These two cops are working on, on Dante Wright, And then their trainer cop, the veteran cop, Kim Potter, comes up. And when she does, it gets all a lot more agitated, a lot more problematic. Then Kim Potter yells, taser, 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 to warn the um, suspect, or in this case, the victim, that she's going to use a taser if she doesn't settle down. But then she grabs for a gun, shoots him, and kills him. This caused quite an uproar. This was all on videotape. So this is a problem for Kim Porter. The only upside for her, she's going to lose the case. The video's fucking right there. The only thing going for her is she's only being charged with manslaughter, not murder. So this court case is going on, and we'll see what is happening. 
There's something else running around the ether, and hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't, go looking for it. There is a videotape of an FBI interrogation, and the person they are interrogating is a young man by the name of Danny Rodriguez. Now, Danny was an insurrectionist. He was at the Capitol on January 6th. And he was unlucky, unlucky because video cameras saw him that day. And that video was out there and available to police, to the FBI, to whoever. Now, in this video, this young man is shown tasing Capitol Police Officer Fanon. You remember that. He's a taller, big guy. He was tased multiple times. I think he had a heart attack, and he almost died. And it would appear as Danny Rodriguez was intending to kill the police officer. So that's a problem. That's certainly against the law. That certainly counts for a lot of time in jail. So anyway, there's a videotape going around how the FBI dragged Danny Rodriguez into an interrogation room and started asking him questions. Now, these insurrectionists would have you believe they're tough guys, they're patriots, they're doing what's right for this country. But somehow, Danny Rodriguez took a little different tone in this interrogation. Yeah, he was crying like a little bitch. He was whining and crying. I thought what I was doing was right. I was just trying to save America. I was just trying to work for Donald Trump. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, Danny, no matter whether you're working for Donald Trump or anybody else, attempting to kill a police officer is a problem. It is against the law, and people who do that do a lot of fucking time in prison. It doesn't matter if you cry or now, because there were a lot of people upset, a lot of people hurt during that insurrection. And at that moment, you didn't give a fuck. You did everything you could to try to kill this police officer. So cry all you want now. You're going to jail, motherfucker. Now, here's the other interesting thing. He was talking about all the political aspects of why he was doing what he was doing. And you know what? Yeah, that was a bad move. That was a real bad move. Because you see, when he admitted to that, that opened up the possibility of domestic terrorism charges. And that would be added on top of the attempted murder of a police officer. It's one thing to hit or attempt to murder a human being. That's bad. But when it's a cop, that's even worse. This young man is going to sit in interrogation rooms, ultimately at a court. He's going to cry and whine like the tough guy insurrectionist all will do when they get called on the carpet. Now, a lot of people have been talking about when are they going to give some real sentences? I got to tell you, Danny Rodriguez is going to get a real sentence because he was violent. He attempted murder. He was at the insurrection and he was too stupid to know any better. And that's why he's crying now. He thinks he was doing the right thing. That's the strange thing about these insurrectionists. If you talk to them, they really felt like they were going to be heroes. That the country was truly being taken over by communists and the Chinese or whatever the fuck they think. 
And they thought what they were doing was a revolt, revolt, a rebellion, and they were going to save this country from this impending doom. Well, that wasn't all at all the case. That wasn't the truth, but they believed it because some dumb fuck told them. There is a certain faction of people in this country that are too stupid to know any better. They listen to people. They tell these people, tell them what to do, and they just do it fucking blindly. They don't think there's going to be any accountability. I'm sure all these people thought, well, we got so many people out here. They'll never be able to track us down. Well, maybe a local police department couldn't track you down, but I tell you what, the FBI and the NSA sure the fuck can. They've already tracked down, what, 450 people, maybe 500 people that were in the crowd, just like Danny Rodriguez. Now, not all of them are being charged with as serious a crime as Danny Rodriguez, and some of them will get lesser jail sentences. We just saw two that were involved in a little bit of violence or or destruction of property or whatever, and they got 41 months. The QAnon shaman, remember him? 41 months in jail. That doesn't seem like a lot of time. But imagine somebody saying, we're going to take three and a half years out of your life, stick you in jail, and just stop everything you know. Take away every freedom. Well, that's a serious sentence. But Danny here, well, Danny's going to be in for a little trouble because it's probably going to be more than 41 months. Fact is, it could be a life term if you're trying to kill a cop. But you're going to see more things like this, these interrogation videos. And I think they do it just to embarrass these insurrectionists or to scare them. I think there are people around the country that haven't been caught yet or have been caught and think they're going to slip by because they believe what they did was right. When they start to see people going to jail and people sitting in interrogation rooms like Danny Rodriguez crying because his life is fucking done, you're going to see a different tone with insurrectionists. And when they find out that Donald Trump not only won't, can't save them in any way, they're going to be pissed. I think they're already pissed. It sounds like in some of the talks they had with uh, Trump administration officials, they were promised some kind of immunity. Guess what? None of them got immunity. Not a fucking one of them. Imagine that. Donald Trump didn't come through with a promise. Now, once you're in this position, do you ever sit back and realize, you know, maybe I was wrong about Donald Trump. I'm not sure they will. I'm really not sure they will. They are going to go to jail and they're going to cry and whine and talk about how they were patriots and rebels and all this sort of thing. And they'll never understand how badly they got fucked over. Donald Trump used them like he's used everybody else. He used the Republican Party. He used the voters by demanding money from them that they kept sending him. He abused and used the insurrectionists by inciting them, getting them mad, telling them lies, and pushing them to attack the U.S. Capitol. These people were all taken in by a con man, and not even a really good con man. That's the weird thing about this world. You get somebody talking loud and proud and acting like a tough guy. There are certain people that say, yeah, that's what we need in this country, so we'll follow them. 
We don't know if he's being truthful. We don't know if he's real or if he's really even tough. But he's the only guy talking that way, so we're going to get behind him. He thinks like we do. That's why Donald Trump has the lowest common denominator following him. I've said this before. I said, you know, when I listen to Donald Trump, he reminds me of a certain kind of guy I've known at different times in my life. When I used to drink and hang out at bars, there's always one guy who's a tough guy who knows all the answers to everything. And boy, if he were in charge, he'd crack some heads together and he'd fucking straighten out this country. But this is some dumb drunk fuck in some 3-2 bar in uh, South Minneapolis, you know. I saw plenty of those. And then when you see Donald Trump talking when he first came into office and when he was campaigning, same attitude. Same verbiage, same stupid shit. But apparently there's always a certain crowd of people like what they hear because it's in line with their own stupid fucking mentality and they decide to follow and believe. Danny Rodriguez believed, but now what he better believe is that motherfucker's going to jail for a long time. He's a young man, and he's going to be taken out of the system for a long time, if not for the remainder of his life. Do I feel bad for him? Fuck no. If you're too stupid to be taken in by these people, then you deserve what you get. Ignorance isn't a defense of the law. Just because you're ignorant doesn't mean you're safe from being prosecuted. Danny Rodriguez is a perfect example of that. All right, we're going to wrap things up here in a bit, but I wanted to talk about something else that I I found funny. If you've been watching TV news as of late, you've seen this big chubby face show up everywhere you go. Chris Christie. Now, Chris Christie is from New Jersey. He was a big Trump ass kicker. He lied. He cheated. He stole. He was considered crooked in New Jersey because of some of the things he did. And he's just a bad guy. Well, he always sided with Donald Trump and he never gave in much at all. But now when you see him, he seems to be straddling the fence. He's not giving up on Donald Trump completely. But he's saying, well, I told him that and I felt sick about this. And uh, fuck you. You didn't do a goddamn thing. You were in Donald Trump's pocket, and you would have done anything he fucking told you to do if you thought it benefited you in your career or in your pocketbook. Well, now he writes a book. That's why he's showing up on all of these TV shows. He wants to give his insights into Donald Trump, the insurrection, and all this stuff, except he doesn't really, he isn't really willing to say much. He's not going to say enough to commit to anything, but he's going to throw some verbiage around and try to turn that into money. So he's got this book. He's going to straighten it all out for us. He's going to put that book out, and we'll tell you the real fucking story. Well, the book comes out. He's promoting the shit out of it every place. But you know what? You would think a book like this, and you would think a guy promoting it, getting free airtime everywhere he fucking turns, you would think he'd do pretty well with that book. But you know what? First week of sales. Total number of books that Chris Christie sold was 2,289. 
Yeah, Chris, nobody wants to hear your bullshit. You don't count. You don't matter. You're trying to save your political life, but don't bother because nobody fucking likes you and nobody cares. This should be a sign to Chris Christie that, hey, you know, hey, maybe I should buy a restaurant or something because politics isn't the future. If you can't sell a $20 book to a big crowd of people or any bigger crowd than 2,200, 2,300 people, you got a problem. Fuck. I think I could write a book and get 2,300 people to buy it, and it could be about fucking anything. That is a, a, a message, a flag for Chris Christie. You're done in this business of politics. Nobody cares, and you're a fucking joke, and now you know you're a joke. It's been proven to you. So don't buy the Chris Christie book. It's a bunch of bullshit, and he's a bullshit piece of shit. He's not worth anybody's time. All right, we're going to wrap it up now on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Remember, if you have questions, comments, complaints, send me an email directly at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer Podcast, and you can leave a voicemail message as well. So we're off into another day. We'll see what's going to happen. It's going to be very interesting. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.